After an army of monsters attack Lake Ansel, Octavia found herself scared, but not alone. What has transpired since the initial assault? How has Octavia dealt with the aftermath? And why are all the clerics in Lake Ansel borderline senile? Welcome to Me, My Spouse, and a Die. Welcome to Me, My Spouse, and a Die. I'm Gwyneth, your resident Asimar, Octavia Marguerite Sinclair. And I'm Austin, your resident Dungeon Master. If you like what you hear in the next hour or so, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or your preferred podcast app. Uh, the best way for us to grow right now is by sharing us with your friends, so please tell your RPG group about us or any of your nerdy friends you think might be interested. Or honestly, share us with those non-nerdy friends you've been trying to convince to play RPGs for ages. Frying Pan is trying to fit into the box that we had for the microphone, and it's hilarious. Just for reference, Frying Pan is a full-grown cat, and the box for the microphone is not big enough to fit a full-grown cat. Oh no, but he thinks it does. <laughs> and it is now going all the way across the living room. <sighs> It's like a little rocket, but a cat with a box on its head. <laughs> I think we need to make our cats the official like mascots of this podcast. I think they're already the official mascots of this podcast. Well, we haven't actually put any pictures of them up on like Twitter or Instagram, which I think we should. Oh, that's, oh, <laughs> are you giving me permission to flood Twitter with pictures of our cats? I mean, the internet loves cats. Uh, that is a salute and will do. If we have to sucker people into listening to our podcast <laughs> just by posting <laughs> pictures of cats, of cats. I, f- I feel like that's fine. <laughs> I'm like, we're two introverts, guys. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, that's why we, we're doing this podcast together because we could never do this podcast with anyone else. <laughs> oh, that's oh my gosh, that's so true. Look, I mean, the reason we start, look, okay, so we moved to Pittsburgh, we didn't have any friends, and the reason we decided to start playing Dungeons and Dragons with only, you know, I was like, I'll DM and you'll play, right? It's supposed to be a party of like four to, you know, three to five, but we'll just do one on one. The reason we did that is because none of us were like, let's go just meet random people and try to form a group. Because that, that, the prospect of that sounds terrifying horrifying to me. Uh, yeah. That's like my worst nightmare. I'm, I'm not good at meeting random people. I'm not good at role playing with random people. I'm not good at meeting new people. I'm not good at talking to new people. That's why we're playing Dungeons and Dragons one on one. That's how this thing started. Because <laughs> we were like, wife. we don't have any friends. <laughs> we're going to play with each other because believe you're. Were we, okay, I'm sorry, were we engaged when we started playing, or were we just dating? I honestly don't remember, and I'm sorry. I honestly don't remember. We were either... Okay, good. (laughs) I was like, if you don't remember too, I'm safe. (laughs) Hey, now! I have the write-up from those old sessions. I know, I have that, I'm really sad that I don't have a picture of us with our first session. It's like... A couple sessions in that the first picture I have of, like, us playing. It's us when we were on the cliffs. And I, we, like, I interacted with a cannon for the first time. Well, I mean, my dungeon master screen was a shoebox. <laughs> it wasn't 
Was it a shoebox or was it the Ikea no, it was a bed? Shoe bo- it, it was a... So, no, 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 no. See, that was Mach 2. Mach 1 was a shoebox <laughs> lid that I wrote certain like things on with a Sharpie. Those are yeah. good days. The days when we were innocent and all that fun stuff. Yeah, my, my Dungeon Master screen was I typed up my notes on a just like a Word document. And so my laptop was half of the screen and then... The other half of the screen was just a shoebox lid that I put there, <laughs> and I wedged it in between my laptop and my microwave on the kitchen table. Oh my gosh, uh, I do remember that. We could leave and, the microwave on that stupid table. And the battle mat was a piece of graph paper that I made, like, inch-wide squares on in those, like, um, the laminate sheets. Oh, yeah, but you still could use the dry erase markers on I them? I was still drawing them with that. That was actually pretty clever. I mean, that, I mean, that was pretty. It worked really well. That was actually amazingly clever. I was, I, that was good. <laughs> it uh, was amazingly clever, if you do say so yourself. <laughs> if I do say so myself, right I was quite here. a clever lad. Those, those days are behind us. My Dungeon Master screen is now just a, uh, a computer screen because we're playing in different locations. Well, and I've made you an amazing DM screen. Come on now. I do. I do feel bad. Like you made that DM screen. If no one has seen this, it's on our. There's a picture of it on our Twitter somewhere. It's an awesome. She made a wooden uh, DM screen. Like uh, stained it, and there's little like hinges, and it's it's super cool, super dope. Oh, thank um, you. It's awesome. I used it. For three sessions of Curse of Strahd. And it wasn't even Curse of Strahd. I ran the Sunless Citadel from Tales from the Yawning Portal as a intro to Curse of Strahd. Yeah. We literally, on our last session, we literally just crossed the mists into Barovia and then the group never met again. So I, I used the, the DM screen for three sessions and it was awesome. Um, but now all of my Dungeons and Dragons playing is basically online. Yeah. So. So I'm, I'm sure I will get a chance to use it again someday, but currently uh, I, I do not, I do not need it. But yeah. it still looks dope, and it's oh, awesome. Oh, I think but, you. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I, I think we will, uh, we will jump into the thick of it. Sounds good to me. So let's get into it. So when we last left, um, Octavia Marguerite Sinclair, the Asmar Druid, had. Uh, She'd had a pretty traumatic experience. She'd uh, seen an army approaching her hometown of Lake Ansel, the uh, the resort town. And she had run back. She had told her brother, Antony, who was a town guard. He was trying to marshal the, the city militia, the city guard. And she went to ring the, the bell tower, the warning bell in the center of town. Uh, she did that. Uh, delivered some potions of healing to the front lines as the monster army approached the walls of the city. After uh, she delivered, she fled back to her home and uh, returned to her family, her mother, her father, and her sister, Celia, uh, to to sort of stay sequestered in their basement until they knew what was going on. So we are we are going to go on an adventure through time. Uh, there is there is a significant time gap between episode two and this current episode, episode three. So we find ourselves about fifteen years later. Octavia Marguerite Sinclair is no longer thirteen; she's twenty-eight. She's a young woman uh, of her own right, and in the world she lives, 
the Orc War, as it has been called since its, since its start, has been raging for 15 long, bloody years. Mm. The Red Day, which is the day, the, the day that the monster army attacked your home, as it has come to be called, was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. In the intervening time, you, you later learned that such armies march not only against the likes of Lake Ansel, the quiet, quaint resort town on the shores of a luscious lake, but uh, they simultaneously marched against every major city, against Stagpine, against Elystria, against the dwarven city of Grudnikov, against the the dragonborn uh, kingdom of Malik. Ugh. These armies marched across every major city-state, every major settlement in the land, and burned smaller towns and villages outside of the city walls to the ground. And eventually you learned that um, uh, the name of the, the leader of these armies, an orc warlord named Krag, of the Bone Splinter Clan was at the center of this attack. Many were lost that day, but for for most of the city-states, the initial onslaught was pushed back and held at bay. The leaders of the world were in shock. The people were mourning and in terror. Uh, no one could imagine that the monsters of the world, because as the fighting went on, it was not just one race, it was not just the orcs, it was the orcs, it was the goblins, it was the kobolds, it was the giants of Absalon's tail, uh, it was the, the creatures deep in the forests, uh, all banded together in one unified army. That the, These monsters that were notorious for infighting, for territorial disputes, for a lack of loyalty or allegiance to anything other than the immediate clan and family that they belonged to, the fact that they could unite and organize in such a profound and devastating manner was unheard of and unthinkable. Lake Ansel, in the days after the Red Day, managed to push back the siege after several days of intense and uh, brutal fighting. The force that attacked their walls was relatively small, as Lake Ansel itself was not known to be a military power. Uh, but the, the army seemed to have underestimated the defensive capabilities of the town. Other city-states fared better, some fared worse. The elves of Elystria were not breached. They managed to repel the attack rather handily. The dragonborn of Malik suffered siege for months, but eventually prevailed when the monster armies could no longer supply themselves with uh, provisions in the desolate desert that is the parch where Malik is located. Stagpine's famous wall of Asgeth was breached, and its citizens were forced into the center of the city, but after weeks of bloody, brutal fighting, they eventually took the city back. However, Grundikov, home of the dwarves, faced the largest inquisition against them, as it was the most fortified of the positions. The dwarves of Grundikov held strong for years, two years of intense fighting, letting none enter or leave their stony gates. But as the brute force of the monsters were pushed back from other regions, repelled from Elystria, repelled from Stagpine and such, they converged upon this, the jewel of Absalon's tail, as the Grundikov is often called. Grundikov fell in the third year of the war. The dwarves, from what you gather, 
Many were killed, but the rest were enslaved and put to work in the rich ore mines under the city. And the orcs and the monsters had a foothold. And so it remained for years. Years passed, armies rallied against the monsters, the monsters rallied against the others. But as the mountain had been a bastion of defense for the dwarves, it was similarly a bastion of defense for these armies, and none from the outside could penetrate it. As it stands in the 15th year of what has been known as the Orc War, it has gone on so long that it has almost become normalcy. Uh, tales of these battles, ambushes, slaughters, stories that would once cause panic and despair are met with deadpan faces and grizzled sighs. And so we find ourselves back in Lake Ansel. Your herbalism shop has only grown more useful as the need for healers has increased throughout the region. Now, the monsters, recognizing that this small town was not a military power, uh, the walls of Lake Ansel have escaped much of the combat over the years, but it still bears the scars of numerous raids and attacks. Instead, these armies, these uh, armies of Crag of the Bone Splinter Clan seem content to keep a, a perimeter around your town, a, a blockade of sorts, to cut off access to the healing prowess held within. Uh, some say that it is the hand of Absalon himself that is protecting Lake Ansel from incursion. So you find yourself in your herbalism shop. Your supplies are running low, as it is difficult to get out and gather new ones, and there are orders to fill from from the temple, from others who are organizing smuggling operations to send medicines and treatments outside of the walls to those that are affected. Um, so let me get some insight into what are what what are you doing? What have you done in these intervening years between where we left left off and where we pick up now? We've had a lot of time to grow, and it's mostly been wartime. In fact, this war has been raging for for more than half the time that you have been alive. For Octavia, surprisingly, not a lot has changed. Honestly, she feels that she knows that her her prime responsibility is to her family. And again, as the eldest who resides with her parents, she sees that the responsibility is even more upon her shoulders. As this war has continued, as this continued, uh, as these continued trials and turbulence throughout the land, she has potentially, you know, made a more significant, um, made it more of a priority to hone her abilities as a spellcaster and as a druid, but but primarily for the protection of her family as opposed to purely the protection of nature. So you find Octavia um, in kind of a split uh, situation. She is someone who has very intense ties to nature, especially to the mammalian forms of nature. But at the same time, she loves her family more than she can express due to the losses that her family has suffered 
due to the loss of siblings. And because of that loss, she believes that her utmost duty is to her immediate family. And so you see her much in the same way that you saw her 15 years prior in the Mushroom Cloud in their herbalism shop in an attempt to both bolster the family financially in helping the shop succeed, but also bolster the family in being a force that can be reckoned with in that she can protect physically the family due to her abilities. Now, as you talk about your family, there's mm-hmm. one one thing that I think we need to clear up. Oh, yes. I knew there was a time that this was going to this was going to arise. So, one of your uh, in the last episode, at the, at the end, one of the, the prime things you were worried about was your brother, Antony, mm-hmm. who was a town guard who was stationed at the eastern gate where the initial assault had taken place. Mm-hmm. And you were wondering, where is my brother? Is he alive or is he not? And yeah. I'm going to be completely honest with you here. I, as the dungeon master, don't know. Really? Really. Because I think there's something fun about letting the dice tell the story because that's sort of the essence of what Dungeons and Dragons is. Okay. So I think the best way to settle this is we will have you roll a d100. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right? This is pretty fun, huh? No! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, but no! (laughs) So I think we'll have you roll a d100 and on a roll of would you would you agree? Would you say it's roughly a 50-50 chance? I mean, Coin flip territory. I mean, he's he was a child at that point, you know, he was mm-hmm. you know, at the, oh, he was a man. He was probably 18 or so, 16, yeah, 16 to 18. To 18. Yeah. I mean, yes. In this society about the age of manhood. I mean, yes, but at the same time, he was not a captain of the guard. He was a mere recruit. So um, it was not necessarily that he was sent on the most dangerous missions, so I would okay. maybe do a... When you say 33% he, he dies, 66% he lives? Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't really <laughs> say that sort of thing because it's my brother that we're talking do about. The, do those numbers sound fair, though? None of those... One in th- I mean, none of those three? numbers sound fair because every every person who dies is somebody something. But I suppose that is fair. So, shall we say, on a roll of 1 through 33, Antony dies heroically in the battles. Okay. On a roll of 34 to 100, he does not. Does that sound sound fair to you? Okay! I'm sorry. Are you okay? I feel bad now. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just... I love... Well, this this I... was actually an interesting question. I hadn't actually thought about it that much, but you were so concerned. And I was like, you know, she's absolutely right. You know, he's on the east wall. The, the attack is coming from the eastern wall. There's a good chance he's caught in the brunt of the fighting, and, and who knows what could happen. So I think this is a great way to settle it because I didn't have a predetermined uh, outcome. Well, let's 
Let the dice help our story. All right, so do you want to roll me a d100? Sure. Are, are you prepared? No, but I will roll them. <laughs> okay. Well, roll your dice and let me know what the final result is. 90. Well, congratulations. That is a roll that is not through... That is not 1 through 33. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I would... How would I... Oh man, if Anthony had died, I don't... I honestly don't know. Okay. So in in the aftermath of that initial battle, uh, things were a bit touch and go there for a while, but after... After, you know, hours and hours, you eventually got word that uh, your brother Anthony was, in fact, safe. He, he oh was not he was not killed in the in the initial onslaught. And as the fighting went on through those days of the the initial attack and pushing it back, uh, he he survived. He may have taken a few, maybe an, an arrow to the shoulder, arrow you know, to the maybe knee. A, a sword slash <laughs> <laughs> something like that. But. Overall, he he has survived, maybe plus a few scars uh, till till the present day. And I mean, it's been fifteen years. Mm-hmm. He's at this point, he's a grizzled veteran. Um, the years of war have aged him far more than the the fifteen you would you would imagine. But but he is alive. He is well, 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 well enough. Oh my so, gosh! <laughs> so tell me about. Um, so you're 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 in the shop. Your parents mm-hmm. are 15 years older. Your younger sister is 15 years older. What what's sort of the 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 climate like? What are are you the primary sort of? Do you run the shop? Do your parents just help? Are they running the shop? What do they do? What do you do? What's what's the the my parents primarily run the shop, and Octavia's role is the primary. Um, you know, merchandise gatherer, <laughs> as you will. She's the one who would, you know, go out and procure an, a more exotic herb or a more exotic um, fungi um, to add to the shop or to satisfy a peculiar order that a customer has has um, requested so that's kind of what the role is so like even though even though uh, Octavia's parents um, Marguerite and Armand I mean they they do run the shop they do they do the business mm-hmm. side of things they do the marketing the schmoozing side of things that go into running a business Octavia's kind of the grunt as you would um you know she does the heavy lifting uh her parents are getting okay. a little bit older she would be doing the uh, so <laughs> literally just the carrying things from cellar to storeroom from storeroom mm-hmm. to delivery she would be the one who would go out and find that rare herb to fulfill mm-hmm. a particular order, especially if the order is from someone who is maybe a little bit higher up in the mm-hmm. ranks of the priests and priestesses of Absalon. So that's what her role is. And on top of that, her role is also to ensure that her younger sister Celia is able to lead a life that Octavia was unable to do so. Um, 
you know, Celia was not touched by the gods upon her birth like Octavia was. And so Octavia really wants to make sure that, you know, um, if she wants to, you know, marry or if she wants to become a warrior, those are the things that are open to her um, and are open to her younger sister. And so she's really taking that role very seriously to take care of this younger sibling um, and kind of feeling this motherly role towards her. So that's really where 15 years later we find Octavia is in a surprisingly domestic, surprisingly kind of mundane situation. Now, I don't think it should be any surprise that in this uh, in this war time, uh, so a lot of the attacks have been uh, pushed back and held at bay, with the exception of the assault on uh, uh, Grundikov, mm-hmm, the city mm-hmm. of the dwarves. Um, but it's not the the war is still raging. Battles are happening. Every day, and as such, I mean, the economy of Lake Ansel is primarily based on tourism. Right. And tourism can no longer happen because no one can travel here for fear of being, you know, killed or pillaged by roving bands of monsters across the land. So Mm -hmm. basically, everyone in the city is on hard times. Uh, The. The hotels that used to be these luxurious uh, accommodations for the rich and powerful across the land, uh, their rooms are now being used to hold, uh, you know, refugees or or the sick or the wounded who have who have managed to fight their way past the line of of barricade of monsters who are surrounding uh, your your city. The restaurants are not. You know, no one is filling them. They're they're making their food for those who, you know, who, who can't afford any because there's there's no money coming into this town. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. your your shop is is similarly afflicted. You're not so much doing this, at least in in my estimation, you're not so much doing this for money as you are because there are people who can benefit from. You know, the herbs and the potions and the things that your shop can make rather than, you know, they will pay money for it. But just because yeah. people are getting killed and wounded and all sorts of horrible injuries and diseases because of this war. Oh, well, that's it, that's exactly. I mean, the people in war who do the best are arms manufacturers and then like also hospitals. <laughs> and so in a sense, the mushroom cloud has done very well in this time because they purposefully are set out to provide the physical remedial elements that an individual needs, especially in a situation mm-hmm. such as wartime. So mm-hmm. in a sense, they've done well um, and maybe have outlasted some of their brethren shops that have been mm-hmm. a potentially more uh, superficial. Um, yeah. Yeah, there are lots of boarded up, you know, exactly. storefronts, mm-hmm. a lot of closed mm-hmm. things. So, I mean, they've done, they've been able to survive be, due to the elements, just because they're like, you know, mm. we're a shop where you can get healing, which is needed in this environment. But there's no, I mean, they've definitely not, I mean, it's not like they're doing so well that they're like wealthy yeah. or yeah, yeah. anything like and, that. Uh, yeah, so, so the Temple of Absalom has sort of, 
they're the main coordinators of the city of getting things past the barricade. So sort of a, a smuggling operation to get things past the barricade so it can be sent to, you know, whatever city, Malik or Elystria or Stagbine that needs, you know, aid at that particular moment. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, so so that's probably where most of your your business is going. Um, so you, you find yourself on another typical day in the middle of this. Uh, war that again is sort of it's been going for 15 years at this point it's it's normal this is life as you know it mm-hmm. and you you are tending your shop and as you are tending your shop uh the the bell ding-a-ling-a-ling, above your door rings and you see someone enter so you see a man walk in okay he is not a human oh he is an elf okay He's tall. Okay. He's about... He's not abnormally tall, but he's probably 6'4"-ish. He's, he's tall, but he's not, like, crazy, crazy okay. tall. Um, where are my so eyes? Am I behind the he, counter, or...? Where, well, you answer that. Where are you? Are you be- I mean, that's where my usual stead would be, but if I'm okay. doing inventory in other areas of the shop, I could be there as well. Yeah, so, so he walks in. He's very tall. He's sort of got a long, gaunt face steel blue eyes uh his hair is black but it's graying at the corners and he has a well-trimmed black goatee and beyond all that you note that this guy is built okay he's like a tank Mm -hmm. he's huge and muscly and just like gigantic um he's wearing a chain shirt and he's got a uh a great axe slung across his back uh but he also looks pale and he's panting as he enters the store and sort of stumble rushes up to the counter. Okay. So he he walks up and he sort of puts both of his hands on the counter and he's breathing heavily. And he says, Hello, are you, are you Octavia? Octavia Sinclair? Yes, I would be. What can I do you for? Uh, He's again panting, sort of labored breathing. He says, "I've, I've traveled for many, many miles to come. To come see you, I oh, barely got past the uh, the barricade. I I need your help. An elf needs my help. Now that is something that I find ironic. What do you need? Yeah, you can see that he he, he doesn't look good, and as he's actually on the table, you can see that uh, he's sort of scarred with fresh wounds, and there's like a dart or like a small arrow sticking out of his back. And he says, I just broke through the, the barricade around the city. I, I came again from, from many miles away to see you, to see you specifically. I brought something for you, but uh, my pack in the, as I was escaping from, from the monsters, they, they took it. I need your help to get it, to get it back. And then he just sort of, face plants on the counter that he's leaning up against and sort of just slumps and goes limp and he's still sort of breathing heavily and he looks barely conscious at this point. Octavia is not enthused to be harboring an elf, but she is fundamentally good. And if someone is in need in front of her, she's not going to just let them die in front of her. She'll cast cure wounds on him. Oh, okay. What? Yeah, roll them, roll them hit points, y'all. So she gives him 
nine points of healing. Perfect. Uh, at that, he, you can see some color sort of return to his complexion as you cast this spell, and he inhales deeply, and sort of his posture changes. He picks himself up off the counter, and he stands up straight and sort of um, rolls his shoulder and reaches back and plucks the arrow out. And I say, and looks at it. Elf, what is your name? He says, my name is Karhun Usirius, and as I said, I have come very far to speak with you, Octavia. Uh-huh. But I... I brought something for you. Something I need to get to your hands very desperately. But as I have said, the, the monsters in the border have it. And I need to get it back. And I was hoping... And he looks a bit sheepish for someone so bulky. And he says, I was hoping... You might be able to help me. Uh, she she kind of cocks her eyebrow at him, and uh, you want me to help you regather the thing you want to give me from the people who took it from you. He says, "I, I know I am, I am greatly embarrassed that I need your help for such a task, but it is of grave importance." That I give you what I give you. What it is? What is it that you want to give me? <sighs> I can't. He he sort of he steps back and and sort of looks like he's thinking about what to say. And he says, "I know you have no reason to help me, no reason to trust me, especially in such trying times. I do but not. I need <sighs> your people have only ever given me." Uh, a reason to distrust your people. So, if you want to bulk that stereotype, I would say be very persuasive. He says, I have something for you which I cannot explain. Uh -huh. I do not understand it myself, but I believe it to be greatly important for both of us that you receive this. I need... My people, I do not know what they have done to you in the past. I do not know how they have wronged you. I do not know how they have treated you or your kind. If it's anything like I may imagine, I'm sure it was not good. But do not judge me for the acts of those who I do not know. All I know is that I need your help, and I think it will benefit both of us if you come with me on this and and help me retrieve this lost arm. I'm sorry, I can I know, I know this must sound very, very suspicious. Where did you lose it? So I come from Elistria. Mm hmm I crossed Absalom's tail. Mm -hmm. It was a very trying journey. I am sure. And I'm sure it was very... Oh, I'm sure it was... It was so hard. Oh, your delicate elf sensibilities crossing the mountains. Oh, dear. Uh, he looks at you stony-faced, and then he continues, and he says, uh -huh. I cut south and followed the river Greta up. The barricade seemed to be weakest at that point. It was the... The, the frog people, the grungs. Mm-hmm. I managed to escape from them. They... they caught me approaching and they pursued and they 
managed to take my pack from me, but please. You lost. You lost your pack to the frog people. Have you fought the frog people before? They are formidable opponents. I have never. Do not judge them for their size. I have never been captured by the frog people, so no, I cannot say that I have had my belongings absconded, but with them. He says, I was not captured by the frog people. They stole my backpack. This is all. Uh-huh. He says, look, I am. You, you have no reason to help me. You can say no if you want. But I am going to go and try to get that back, and I'm going to try to bring it back to you. And I may die in the process, and if I do, I want you to know that you you could have done something to stop it. I'm s- uh, and he just sort of, he, he begins to turn, and he, he begins to sort of make his way away, but it's one of those, like, he's doing this <laughs> to make a statement, but he's like, maybe she's gonna stop me and say something? When I... I don't think you are in any shape to be going out immediately, do you? He says, it is true. I am not in tip-top shape, but... As I've said, the items I lost are of grave importance, and the longer I wait, the more chance it has of falling into the wrong hands. Surely you can wait a modicum of hours that would allow you to get your strength back. If you're proposing a... Are you proposing a he take a short rest? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I mean, he's an elf, so he can take his rests are shorter. Uh, Four hours, yeah. yeah. He says, I can... I'll wait here until nightfall. But then I am going. And I would like to you to accompany me. Tell me more about why I should accompany you. You, As far as I know, you have an object that you need to bring to me that you have lost. I have yet to see the urgency as to why I should accompany to accompany you to recover something that you in your inability have been able to bring to me. Uh, he says, he, he looks down at his feet and then he looks back up at you and he says, I know I am not making a very strong case. No. He says, I promise I will explain it all, but I cannot right now. Why can't you right now? If I could tell you I could not explain it, I might as well just explain it in the first place. So I think you're just going to have to take my word that I cannot explain it right now. Uh, that is an argument of fallacies. You still have the ability of words, yes? Why don't you use them to explain to me this object, the reason that you need to bring it to me, and the reason why you, an elf of all people, would seek out the Sinclair family. If my people have treated you any way like I imagine they would, you know that no proud elf would come to you begging for your help. So I will... I will humble myself before you, Octavia. I will humble myself, Miss Sinclair. And he gets down on a knee and he says, Oh, are you serious? I beg your help. I... An elf need you. Octavia is super duper taken aback. Throughout her experience, she has only ever seen elves treat her family as inferior beings because they are not elves. And so seeing this is honestly shocking. 
And she takes him a lot more seriously now. Okay. Because this is something that just uh, a flippant elf would not do. This this reeks of urgency. So she says to him, you do not necessarily need to take a knee, but seeing your posture has indicated to me your honesty and your plight. And now I take more seriously what it is that you are saying to me. Does this mean you will accompany me? Not necessarily. I think that there should be time for you to rest because in any way, shape, or form, you are not in any uh, capability to kind of (laughs) go out and adventure as she looks him up and down in his kind of bedraggled, (laughs) you know, exterior. Mm -hmm. But let me think on it a few hours, and then I will give you my answer. I will return at dusk. You will find me here. I look forward to it. Uh, and then he he turns and he begins leaving your shop. Okay. She lets him go. Is there anything you do between now and dusk? She thinks a lot. Octavia and the Sinclair family, her family, have only suffered... Um, kind of marginalization and pain from the hands of elves, especially the elves of Elystria. Mm-hmm. And so she approaches this guy with utmost suspicion. But for him to take a knee before her, she has never seen an elf humble themselves to that extent. And for that, she tends to believe him. Okay. And so she would tend to think that she should go with him and figure out whatever it is that it is that he is needing to bring to her. Maybe it has to do with those dreams that she had when she was a teenager. She doesn't know, but she communicates to her family, to her parents, that upon dusk she will be heading out and will hopefully return within 24 hours. Okay. They uh they all share their concern, uh, but if this is what you are set on doing, they they do not argue terribly strongly. So do do you do do you do anything or do you do you wait uh, until dusk? I I probably wait honestly. Um, Octavia, okay. I mean Octavia is nothing of a shut in, but in a sense she is. Her entire world is kind of centered in the shop in uh, Lake Ansel. And so, you know, she doesn't really have anybody that she would go and tell um, Antony is... uh, She would like to tell him, but their relationship has just deteriorated um, through the years as he has um, been promoted through the ranks of Lake Ansel's militia. Um, Mm -hmm. So she's like, maybe he'll hear about me leaving. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll hear and maybe he'll care. Maybe he won't. Um, So kind of the most preparation that she'll do is that she'll prep, you know, uh, uh, food. She'll prep, um, make sure that her staff is 
um, you know, free splinters kind of where she's left it. She hasn't picked it up in a long time and make sure that she's kind of ready to journey out beyond the walls, which she hasn't done in a while. Well, dusk comes and the elf returns to your shop. Mm. Uh, you hear the bell ring and you see him standing in the doorway. Uh, he looks a little bit better. He's got some bandages uh, over where the, the wounds you saw were. Uh, and looks generally up to up to snuff. Mm-hmm. She nods as he enters, but says nothing. He nods as well and says, Are you going to accompany me? I will accompany you, but don't take this as an indication that I trust you necessarily. I will earn that trust, I am sure. Uh, we can he all hope. Hold, uh, he, he steps out of the door and uh, holds it open for, for you to come and follow him. Octavia nods her head in acknowledgement of his of his courtesy and walks out the door. Give me just a hot second. Okay. Oh man, Octavia meeting a bunch of elves. You ha- oh my gosh, what is this? What? 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 No, you did not. You did not make her little sidekick an elf. Oh my gosh. I love you too. What did you do? What? What did you make? What? You are the butt. For those of you wondering what just happened, I ran into the other room where Gwyneth is recording and handed her a stat sheet for Carhu and Usirius. Just so y'all know, we are using, um,. So, in one of the Unearthed Arcanas that Wizards of the Coast released, they released rules for sidekicks, uh, which is basically if, I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. If you are playing a character and they want to have, like, a, a sidekick or a hireling or something, it's basically simplified class rules so you don't have to keep track of uh, too much on your own. So, in, in the last campaign we did that we didn't record... Gwyneth was a, a dragonborn sorcerer, and her sidekick was a gnome cleric. And believe it or not, it's it's a bit difficult to keep track of two full casters at the same time, and all of their spells and all of their abilities. Uh, so this this time around, we wanted things to be a bit more simple. So we are we are trying these these sidekick rules. Carhoon uh, Usirius is a level three warrior. And yeah, I I think he's pretty cool. So yes, yes, I've he given you an elf cool. right now. He is pretty cool. Octavia. Because think of the role playing that guy. Octavia uh, hates him. And that's why it was the best choice. As oh. soon as you were like, oh, I distrust elves, I was like, I'm gonna give her an elf. No, you're so bad. So, um, uh, <laughs> you. Oh. So how this is going to work is, so Gwen will control, uh, she'll obviously control Octavia and everything she does. And in combat, I gave her the stat sheet for Carhoon and all of his stats and abilities and attacks and whatnot. And she will control him in combat, but I will do the RP of him. So I reserve the right to veto certain actions if they are wildly out of character, (laughs) Um, but I don't foresee that being uh, a huge huge issue. 
basically like if there's an you know an innocent bystander and he goes up and he's like i attack her with my great axe i have the right to say no he would not do that um he is new so yeah so you get to uh you you will control him in combat and i will control his role playing so you Step out of the shop with this burly, burly elf. So, oh my gosh. so elves are typically, you know, everyone, when they think of elves, they typically think of like, you know, Tolkien-esque elves, you know, tall, slender, slim. They look frail, but they're very, you know, uh, graceful and elegant. This guy, he's a monster. He's, <laughs> he's built. Uh, imagine like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson was an elf. Oh my gosh. It's basically this guy. Okay, I can I can so, live with that. <laughs> and if Dwayne the Rock Johnson was sort of a, a Spaniard with a goatee and an elf, okay, that's that's where we're going. Hot dang! All right. <laughs> so, alrighty. Um, so he has uh, requested your assistance. He broke through the barricade, but while he did, a group of grungs, or frog people, mm-hmm. stole his backpack. Oh my <laughs> gosh! He, like, how incompetent can you be? Like, a bunch of frog people stole your freaking backpack? Yeah, but he wants to get it back, so that is that is the gist of this quest. So, you and him are heading towards uh, the, the, the city gate under the cover of darkness to mm-hmm. try to uh, get out and retrieve his belongings that are for me that are for you so you know so uh, as you go he tells you that the uh, the grung camp so the the frog people they're frog people they're kind of weird they're not super common um, he tells you that their camp is well I'll, I'll tell you this the barricade that this monstrous army has made around the city of Lake Ansel it's about uh, it's about a mile in radius outside of the city. So if you go a mile away from the city walls, that's about where the barricade starts. Okay. The grungs, or these frog people, uh, their camp is next to... Their camp is sort of close to the lake because they, as amphibious creatures, they need uh, water. They need to immerse themselves in water every so often. Mm-hmm. And Carhoon tells you this as you go, and you would generally be aware of that. Um, so this barricade is made up of, you know, interspersed camps of like creatures. So there's like goblin camps and orc camps and hobgoblin camps and, you know, kobold camps. And they're all just sort of in this circle around the city mm-hmm. so that they can keep track of if anyone's trying to get in or get out and either kill or capture them to prevent that from happening. Um, and so Carhoon tells you he came in from the south, skirted around the lake, because that's where the barricade is the weakest. Okay. Um, and so that's where these grungs are. And so the two of you are heading toward that camp currently. Okay. You get out of the city. You do you get through the gates. Um, there's sort of a people gate to let you through. The monsters aren't like right there, so they can generally sort of let you out freely. Although the guards are sort of like, "Why are you going out there? You're probably going to get killed." Um, and I'm just but like, they've seen yeah. you come and go before to to collect various herbs yeah. and things, so it's not that different. So you're heading south toward uh, along the lake toward where you can see sort of the. The fire, the the campfires from these various camps begin dotting uh, the darkening horizon. So, you're approaching this camp. You know that there are some frog people there. You know they have this guy's backpack 
Are you doing anything as you get near this camp? I mean, we'll probably be trying to be surreptitious. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and honestly, I'm going to let Carhoon kind of take the lead because ostensibly he knows kind of like where his backpack was taken and where mm-hmm. it seems like he has an idea as to where it's being kept. Sure. Uh, as you're approaching, he says, these grungs, these frog people, their, their camp is small. They are a bit away from the, the main group. I think they're kind of outcasts, which seems weird in a group of monsters, but eh, I, I don't argue. <laughs> uh, there's only two tents, from what I gathered. There's a small one, looks like the leader lives there, and a larger one for the rest of them. Okay. Now, I know that these creatures need to be submerged in water. That's why they made their camp next to the lake. Perhaps we can wait until some of them go to bathe and we can sneak in while the camp is less populated. Do you know when the... Have you observed them? Do you know when it is that they go to submerge themselves in the lake? He says, I... uh, I have not observed these in particular, no, but that is just based on my general knowledge of this species. Do you know whether or not your backpack would be kept with the captain of the group or with the common folk? I would I would assume that it would be held with the leader, not the not the common rabble. Do you know anything of the leader of these guys. As my general knowledge is, I mean, they're small. They often deal in poisons. Their skin is poisonous, so be careful not to get too close. Mm. Octavia nods. Um, so at this point, you guys are sort of approaching their camp, so you, you probably start to crouch low and make your way slowly towards them. Um, as you're approaching, the, the campfire is is a bit of ways, and you can see, as he described, two tents, one slightly larger and one slightly smaller, and a few uh, short figures. They look to be about about as tall as a gnome might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're sort of gathered around uh, around the campfire. What do you do? Uh, Octavia will look to Carfoon, and she will say, let us, uh, let us observe for a while and see exactly what their motions are. Okay, so do you guys just sort of hunker down and camp out for a while? Yeah, we'll just kind of, you know, see what the comings and goings are. Is there, is there a guard? Is there a changing of the guard? That, you know, kind of that sort of thing. Just kind of get an idea of what it is that we're even looking at prior to trying to infiltrate it. Sure. All right, so you, uh, you hang out there for an hour or so okay. and just watch the camp. You guys get hunkered down in the grass and, and just watch. And you see, you can make out about five distinct figures wandering around the fireplace. Okay. I'll say they, they don't, there's not really much of an organization as, as you can, as you observe it. But after about an hour, maybe creeping up on an hour and a half, you see that three of them, so there's there's a discussion. They all sort of meet around the campfire, and then three of them begin to break off and head toward the lake. Okay. And you said these creatures are about as big as a gnome? 
Yes, they are small humanoids. Small humanoids, okay. Yeah, I, I, I will show you the picture afterward because they are adorable and you would probably be like, oh, I don't want to hurt them. <laughs> that is very me. <laughs> I mean, I cannot make friends with all of them. They all become my buddies. <laughs> but they are also evil creatures. Oh, so. well, I don't like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so three of them start breaking off and you see them go toward the shore of the lake and they start to wade in. Do three and more... And Carhoon says... Wait, what? do three more come to bolster the ranks of the three who left? Nope. Oh, nope. okay, okay, okay. It seems like they're they're doing it in shifts. They don't... Carhoon seems to explain to you that from what he knows, they don't... I mean, they don't have to submerge for, like, hours at a time, but they have to, you know, get some water in their skin, rehydrate once a day at least. So okay. Once this is this seems to be the time that this group is going, and the other group will probably grow go either later or maybe they went earlier in the day. Okay. So they're taking a little a little nighttime bath. <laughs> <laughs> you get their little rubber duckies out. <laughs> well, um, Octavia will ask Carhoon. Describe to me in detail what exactly your backpack looks like. He says, well, it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of a nondescript backpack. It's a leather pack. It's got, uh, you know, straps on it. It's got a big old pouch. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a backpack. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. It's not like, uh. You don't have any uh, pins on it that are like, you know, describe, you know, make it really obvious what it is. My mind is blanking on the brand that has the fox on it. What's the brand that has the fox oh, on it? Oh, I know Backpacks. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I bought you one. <laughs> you didn't I buy bought, me I one. I even bought one for you. I don't know what it's called. Hold on. Is it on. like a Fjarlin oh. or something? Fjall Raven. Yeah, there we go. I was pretty close. He's like, it's not a fall. But man, that joke would have landed a lot better if I knew that term. <laughs> he says, it's not a fall ra- Fjall Raven or anything like that. It's just a backpack. Uh, Octavia nods, and she communicates to him what her plan is. And so she says, my plan is to sneak into the uh, tent of the captain of the guard mm-hmm. and find out your backpack. I will then mm-hmm. put your backpack within my backpack, and I will attempt to surreptitiously return to you here. I intend to do so through the use of wild shapes, so you may see me in the form of creatures. Do not be alarmed. That is something that I intend to do, and I don't know what other plan we could have. He says, you you want me to wait for you here? I would think that, uh, wait for me here, unless you hear a great clamor of people fighting each other. And then if we have a great clamor of people fighting each other, why don't you come and help me? (laughs) If you insist, Octavia. Are you you sneaky? I mean, I gave you the stat block, so I actually don't remember what his dexterity is. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's honestly better than mine, but I mean, if I'm like a rat... I mean, he, he he was willing to do what you say. He's sort of taking your lead on this. Okay. I am going to wild shape and to the sneakiest creature that I can be. 
which is okay. uh, which is going to be a house cat. Um, I know. Kitty. I'm going to turn into a little frying pan. All right. What does your cat look like? My cat looks like frying pan. My cat's a little black cat. <laughs> I was going to say the listeners do not know what frying pan looks like. So we have two cats. And one of them is frying pan, and he's a little black cat because he looks like a little frying pan, like a cast iron skillet frying pan. So uh, a house cat has like better stealth than like a, a panther or something. Well, I want to be small. Okay. Um. Sounds good. I I just wanted to make sure, but that that sounds good. So uh, you turn into a house cat. Yeah, because I'm not anticipating being. Attacky, attacky in this mode. Yeah, you, you, your form sort of compresses and uh, forms into that of a house cat. And Carhoon does not seem phased by this in the slightest. And prior to wild shaping, I tell him, follow me um, as quietly as you can. And should you hear noises of... You know, like, follow me up to the edge of the leader's tent. And then if you do, if you hear combat inside, do come in. But if you don't, let me try to, like, sneak my way out. Okay. Um, So as you do this and as you say this, uh, and as both of you start beginning to creep toward the tent, uh, you see that the the two grungs that are left, uh, one of them stays around the campfire, and the other uh, retreats into the smaller of the tents. Okay. Um, so there's one at the campfire, and one goes in the tent that you think the backpack would be in. Oh, okay. Okay. So, you both begin to creep forward. Yes. And we will find out what happens in the next episode! Oh my gosh! Okay! Ah, I want to know now! <laughs> if you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. The best way for us to grow and reach more people like you is for you to share us with your friends. So please tell your RPG group about us or any of your nerdy friends you think might be interested. And if you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email at me, my spouse, and a die at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from y'all, and we always try to respond to each message we get. Oh, and we want to thank Sirenscape for the amazing atmosphere and music. Make sure you check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-scape.com. Catch you next week!